I had a blast this last week on Tuesday. I got to go with the, the men's ministry to the Indians game. And we had fun. So now as you watch some of these clips, these are the like not so top 10 clips, all right? So this is not how it's supposed to work, right? So you kind of watch this and there's, there's a few of these that, that what you see happening in front of you is dysfunctional baseball, right? This isn't how it's supposed to work. I played baseball in high school. Um, our coaches told us very clearly that there was someone who was responsible to catch the ball. There's one coming up here that's my favorite. We won't watch all of these, but you got to check this one out. Um, not this one, but it's the one coming up here. So, so we, what, we, what we recognize is that, that it's possible for a team to be completely dysfunctional, right? That they don't quite, here's the one, this one's great. All right, so we got it pointed out, we know who it is, and there you go. Nobody gets it. <laughs> so so uh, for confession's sake, for a second, I want to ask you to consider uh, when it comes to your own families, and it's great that the kids are with us today, when it comes to your family, you've maybe heard this term before, that there are dysfunctional families, right? That, that no, you don't have to confess, we won't make you raise your hand today, uh, but, but there's a part of this that we recognize that the, the family just doesn't quite function and the way that it might have the potential of doing. Now, as we've been studying the book of Colossians together, we keep hearing this same phrase that the Apostle Paul teaches us, and we're going to look at it again today, where he says that his desire for us is to be in perfect harmony with one another. Now, is that what came to mind when you saw the pictures, the, uh, the baseball players together, right? Not the last thing in your mind was perfect harmony, right? Because they weren't communicating. The managers of those teams had communicated to them who was supposed to take the ball if it happens, but they stopped communicating with one another and ultimately it led them to function poorly together. And I would confess to you today that, that I have absolutely seen that happen in homes. In fact, I've actually seen that happen in my home. And today, as we wrestle with what it means for us to be in harmony with one another, I want you to hear this, this profound word of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, where he says this. He says, above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, I'm not sure if that referenced the trip to church today with your family, but, but what he's saying to us is that we can function together in a way that we thrive together. That's his desire for us, that we function together. You think of the orchestra and it's different, distinctive parts, but when they function under the hand of the good conductor, that they find themselves meshing together in a way that's beautiful. Now, today, the difference between being a family that is dysfunctional versus one that is harmonious is the family that chooses to follow the designer of families plan for how families work together. We're going to study a few verses together. They're complicated verses. They're also really challenging verses in our culture today because they talk about us doing something that is so essential in our lives, and that is to relinquish authority to ultimately the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to say, we want to do our families your way. And when we do that under the hands of the good conductor, our families can thrive together. We can experience the kind of harmony that he's designed for us to have. If you would look now with me at verse 18, we're going to see these verses that describe to us what it means to be people who fit within and under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. In verse 18, chapter 3, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. 
Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that those verses are pretty controversial in our society today. And the reason they're controversial is because they talk about a form of submission that when it's misunderstood, it misunderstands this as being God's gift to us to help us to understand how we mesh together as a family. And when it's misunderstood, it's seen as being something that is oppressive or offensive. But what, what I wanna encourage you, I'm gonna ask you to do me a big favor. Will you do me a favor today? And that is to listen with your own ears to this message. Now, I love this, this picture right here. This is, um, this is pretty good. All right, so, so I think that sometimes we could be accused of listening with our elbows. Now, let me explain what I mean. You're listening to someone speak. I have done marriage conference. I've been in the setting, and I see it where the wife's hearing something, and then she, she does elbow listening, right? And so she's, she's saying that she's hearing this, but she is listening for someone else, right? She hopes that her husband's paying attention to what's being said. In all of this the text this morning, it's going to say specific things to, that really do truly apply to everyone in this room at some level. And, and what's so key for us to catch is that it's saying to us, you need to listen with your own ear. This is how this applies to you. And so the, the mandates that are said, look at it, it says, wives submit, husbands love, children obey, fathers do not provoke. That There's a specific targeted audience that is, is specific that helps us to do one of my favorite passages of scripture in Romans 12, 18. I'll paraphrase it. It says this, it says, live at peace with everyone as long as it is up to you. Or specifically, it says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live with peace with everyone. You know, I like to think of this as my jurisdiction verse. And it helps me to know like, that I only have control over Sean Brennan. That's all I've got control of. That's the only part of the equation in our family that I'm in control of. Now, if I love my family well, I have influence. If I, if I honor the marriage well, then I can create an environment where our, our family can thrive. But God has given me the authority and responsibility to love my family well, but to pay attention to my part of this. So, so will you agree with me? I won't make you raise your right hand, but will you agree with me today that you will not do elbow listening today, but that you will listen to this message for yourself, right? What is God saying to me about his plan for our ability to relate together in the context of our families. The main point this morning is that God desires for every one of us to live in harmony, loving one another according to his design. I love this picture of the house rooted as we've been talking through the series through Colossians about what it means for us to be rooted and established in truth. You think of foundations, you think about thriving, and you think about the reality that he wants our homes to thrive and be established on his truth. And, and the, the way that that happens is through a process of harmony in our home, that's a result of us relinquishing control. 
That's us saying that we're not going to fight to be in control of everything in our household, but instead we're going to relinquish control according to God's design. Remember, he's the one who made the family. He's the one who invented it, who blessed us with it. And his design for it is one that is very specific. Now, I will tell you that I am not a great driver, and I'm not sure why I told you that, but, um, but I will tell you that I know what this yield sign means. And I know what it looks like when someone doesn't pay attention to a yield sign. And I want you to see, yeah, that. I want you to think about the yield sign in general, to think that when they designed the road, that the designer said that they expect that there's gonna be times when you have to make way for someone else. And for the two of you to be in the same place doesn't fit very well. And here, when we see roles that God has ordained or designed in his creation for where we fit and how we submit and how we listen, that there's a component of this that he's just saying, as the designer, we have to, at times, relinquish control, and we have to say that we're going to watch someone else go in front of us, or we're going to honor them in a way. We're going to hear this commandment that fathers ought to cherish their children and to lead them well, that they ought to, husbands ought to love their wives in the way that Christ loves the church, that, that this is not simply an easy task, but instead it's one where you're relinquishing control according to the authority of God's word. It's important for us as we start to talk about the role of men and women in the church and in the environment that we're talking about in our families in particular, specifically, that's what it's talking about in this context. And that it's essential to understand that in those days when this was written, both Jewish and Greek cultures, that that, that families, especially children and women, were considered property. The way William Barclay puts it, he says, both under Jewish and under ancient Greek laws and custom, all the privileges belong to the husband and all of the duties to the wife. But here in Christianity, we have for the first time, as Paul writes it in Colossians, an ethic of mutual and reciprocal, reciprocal obligation. What happens here is that the Apostle Paul is going to say that when we relinquish control, we can see the family that God has blessed us with thrive. It is not authoritarian, but it is according to his design. So we continue in our study, and we see this, this simple truth come to the surface. Wives are called to willfully relinquish control and to accept the leadership that God has appointed. In verse 18, it says this, wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. The relationship between husbands and wives are ordained by God from creation, this is due to our wiring. This is due to our birth order. You think of in the original created order where God created man and then Eve was from his rib. Um, but, but it also is a part of his design and he warned us that this was gonna be complicated in our relationships. It's funny as Christ followers that when we think of the fall, we often think of the fall as resulting in some specific challenges for us. We hate the fact that death entered the world at the point of Adam and Eve's sin. We, we struggle with the reality that there's pain in childbirth and raising children. We, we accept a number of the, the realities of the described consequences of sin as it entered the room or entered the world. But there's, there's a component of this that we see if you look with me in Genesis 3.16 on the screen, that, that there was another element that was brought into the male-female relationship, the husband and wife relationship that's significant. In verse 16 of Genesis 3.16, it says this, 
To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. This, this reality of, of God's design, but also the reality of a post-sin world is one that truly is contrary to what's taught in our society today. Um, men and women in our culture are misunderstood to be exactly the same, and they've never been the same. As image bearers of the living God, we're equal in value, but we fulfill different roles in creation. And so when God describes this, when he des describes the result of the fall, when he describes to us the reality of wives submitting to their husbands as is fitting into the Lord, it is so essential. We've been talking as a church about what it means to be Berean. Remember, that has nothing to do with Berea. That's, that's a, you know, in, in Ohio here, but it has to, the early, has to do with the early church in the book of Acts where it says that they eagerly sought the scripture to determine if what was taught was true. And, and so when it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, this as is fitting in the Lord, it's important to point out that this submission is, is having to do with wives submitting to their specific husbands. This is not making a, a sexist statement about the value of a woman, but it's making a statement about what it means to come into the order of God's design for his creation. And he also says that at some level, we, we absolutely have to do this as what is in fitting in the Lord. And it is horrific to think of some of the things that have been done in the home under leadership that does not submit to the authority of God's word. We stay under the authority of God's word and we make sure that any context that, that someone is leading another person is submissive to the truth of God's word. Now, this is a terrible illustration, but I'm going to give it anyways. That there was a, a comedian that tells the story of his son. He's got a six-year-old boy, and they had been swimming at the rec center, and it was a pretty crowded day at the rec center. And the boy told his dad, hey, dad, I need to use the restroom. And now, I don't know how you feel about peeing in swimming pools, but I think it's wrong, okay? Um, somebody else agrees with me? Okay, a couple of you are like, yes, that's just really gross. I can't believe he said that. He did, yes. So, so, this, so the dad look, thinks about the towel and the effort and how much work it's going to be to take his son to the bathroom, and he leans over to his little boy, and he says, he says, son, I just want you to just go ahead and just this one time, just pee in the pool. And, and his son said, nah, dad, I don't, I don't want to. And then, oh, okay. And so, and so then you could just feel the hush come over the, the group of people that were at the pool. And the, the father turns around to see that his son is standing up on the side of the pool, peeing in the pool, right? <laughs> uh, don't recommend this. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a part of all of these, we'll talk about parenthood in a minute, but there's a part of all of these that the essential component to this is that we are people who stay underneath the authority of God's word. It's interesting that the next statement in verse 19 is this, that husbands are called to love and to lead their wives with kindness. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands are here to guard or to guard against resentment and words that destroy. Husbands are called to use, utilize words when he talks about this not being harsh. Use, utilize words that heal, speak truth and love, and to fill others with encouragement. Now, in our marriage early on on our honeymoon, um, I have to share or confess to you that I got this really wrong. 
In the, in our, on our honeymoon, we had our honeymoon in Breckenridge, Colorado, and I grew up skiing in that part of the world, and, and it was in November, and there was snow on the mountains, and I convinced Allie um, on one of the days of our honeymoon to go skiing with me. And uh, one of the things that she said to me is that she said, I am great with skiing with you, but I just want to be on the green hills. Now, if you're not a skier, you need to understand that the green hills are the flat ones that have like the bunnies frolicking in the snow. And it's very, it's very laid back. It is laid back skiing. And she says, I'm great with skiing, but I just want to be on the bunny hills. And so um, we made it to the, the mountain. I took her to the lift and, and Allie says something to me as we're getting on the lift, like, I'm not quite sure this is the right one. And I said, Allie, you're going to have to trust me. And um, what I did not see, what we did not see is that that lift was taking us up to, we missed the sign that said, this takes, us, takes you to the most difficult um, you know, trails on the mountain, the black diamonds, the double black diamonds, and the blues. Um, no bunnies were up there. Okay? And, and as we're going up the lift, and the lift just keeps going, and it keeps going. Allie says, can I see the map? And um, I reluctantly let her see. And, 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 and the reality is we're the wrong one. But once we make it to the top, I still said some version of, honey, you're just going to have to trust me. And I was dead wrong. Do you understand? And so at some point in the process, Allie kicked off her skis and she slid down the mountain on her backside. And um, from there, a, a tremendous lesson was learned for me about understanding how we relate to one another. But Allie gave me a gift that day. So, so I totally screwed up. I used harsh words. I'm not even sharing with you how blunt I was about how important it was for her to trust me when I was dead wrong. And the reality was that she ended up after a nice cup of hot chocolate coming back and we skied the rest of the day together and she, she stayed in the conversation, right? That she engaged still, that she was willing to stick with me through what was a pretty tumultuous moment in our lives. And I, I look back on it with a, a sense of embarrassment because I completely misunderstood what this kind of relationship looks like. In fact, we'll unpack it in a few minutes, but this, this kind of relationship that God's describing for us is that husbands love in such a way, this agape love, this selfless love, this sacrificial love, that is the very kind of love that the Lord Jesus had for his, has for his church. The, the third individual that, that shows up here that ought to come under the authority of a relinquished control is children. Youth are called to obey their parents. It says this in verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And Exodus is one of the 10 commandments. It, um, we're told that if you do this, that it will go right with you. You will live long in the land. And, and I suppose for, for youth, this is a hard one for us to do. In fact, many of us still have living parents and we still at, at this stage in our life have to honor our parents and submit to their leadership. But let me give you a hint for those of you who are children in the room today, that, that so often the thing that's happening with parents, when we share with you a restriction or we, we give you advice on something, it's because we ourselves didn't get that completely right when we were kids, that we made mistakes ourselves, that we wish we could jump in the DeLorean, go back in time and, and not have to make the same consequences, some of which that have stuck with us for our lifetime. And so when it says in God's created order and his established plan for his people that children ought to obey their parents, that, 
that there's a component of this that a parent's responsibility is to really prepare their kids for the paths that are ahead. Some of that involves discipline. We're told in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, that, that if the parent refuses to discipline their children, that literally they're destroying their children going forward because the world we live in is tough. And, and if they choose to not discipline their children, they're setting their children up to fail in the world that we're in. So, and again, ev- and everything is one of those times that it does not contradict what God's word teaches, as it says in verse 20, for this pleases the Lord, for children to obey their parents. Now, I, I would suggest to you today that as you even read some of these, that, that there's some of them that are just, that are just hard to, to read because they go against the way our culture approaches family and that they're countercultural. But I would suggest to you this morning that it's appropriate for us to look at the way our culture deals with families and how families are functioning in our society. And we would say that that isn't working particularly well, is it? And there's a component of this that we stand back and we submit to God's authority. And in that process, by coming under his authority, we can find ourselves, I believe, thriving in the kind of relationships that God designed for us. So the second point this morning is that harmony in our home is a result of loving leadership. I want to look more carefully at the crucial way of leadership for fathers and for husbands. In verse 19, it says this, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In Ephesians chapter 5, it unpacks this and it reminds us that this is no small requirement for a husband to do this well. It says that husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In verse 28, it says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. I'm so grateful this morning as I sat in my bed And as my house shook with the thunder and lightning that was around me, I am so grateful that the God of the universe does not repay evil for evil, that he's not in the lightning bolt business every time that someone sins, that he chooses to give us grace, the unmerited favor that we don't deserve because of the fact that he's good and he's kind and he's gracious. And the God of the universe approaches his church in that same way when he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to seek and to save that which was lost. And I I see this, this idea of the kind of love that a husband ought to have, like the love that Jesus Christ has for his church. And I and and while it comes at a cost, obviously, it's one that's sacrificial and selfless. It's agape love. It was read probably at your wedding, 1 Corinthians 13, that says, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it keeps no record of wrongs. It it describes the kind of love that Christ has for his church. And and there's a component of this tremendously high standard that creates an environment where people truly can be successful. When I was in seminary, there's a part of me that, that is, is, looks back, and I think about this all the time, it might seem weird, but after 19 years of being married, I look back at getting married when I, or meeting Allie when I was 21 years old, and I, and I think back about the fact that I'm so glad that my 21-year-old self was smart enough to marry Allie. When I think of her character, when I think of who she is, the kind of wife that she is, the way she loves the Lord, that she's a person who obeys the Lord 
um, in a way that is, is so honoring to me. And it's such a privilege in our home. But when I was in seminary and we were in the dating process, one of the things that stood out to me was that my professors, some of them old guys that had been married for a really long time, they would talk about their wives in such an affectionate way. And they would say things about them like, my wife is the most amazing student of God's word. My wife is an amazing teacher. She loves the Lord. She, they would describe their wives so beautifully. And I remember thinking, I journaled this one time, I just wonder if these guys were just really good pickers. You know, they, they just chose really good people to marry. But then it dawned on me when I was exposed to a passage of scripture in 1 John that says, perfect love casts away fear, that what dawned upon me is maybe this is what it looks like when a woman is in a marriage that's healthy, when she's married to a godly man, when their family is founded on the truth of God's word, that in that environment, both of them and their entire family can thrive together, right? And there's a component of this that I think, I think that that is a part of what it means for us to be people who, when he says this in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That, I think that that's what was happening in my seminary professor's marriages is that they were creating an environment where their families were secure because of their ability to come under the authority of the truth of God's word. God, good fathers, brothers and sisters, lead with gracious love. Look what it says in verse 21. It says, fathers, in Colossians 3, verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Fathers are called to avoid provoking and to winsomely inspire their children. Fathers are commanded to restrain their anger and any other attitudes that can embitter their children. I think of that kid in the pool, and I think of his interaction with his dad, but I, I also think about the fact that in my own life, that the words that my father said to me when I was, I was a boy have defined my life in many ways, that, that the words a father chooses, the influence that a father can have in the life of their child is tremendously profound. And so here he's saying to do that, that encouragement in a way that fills them with courage, that, that provokes them to good things, that doesn't provoke them to anger. I like the way my um, professor at Cedarville, Dr. Gramacki, used to say this. He says, since like begets like, a parent who provokes will produce a child of strife. Such provocation makes unreasonable reasonable demands on the child humiliates him and manifests no loving understanding of his unique personality. So provoking or exasperating a child is discouraging a child to the point where they just want to give up. And I've known family, remember I was a marriage and family pastor. I got to see the dark side of many families. And one of the things that, that I would see often is that, is that a child would feel like they're grounded for life, that there's no reason for them to uh, make the steps moving forward, or that there would be such harsh words, or that, like 1 Corinthians 13 warns us against keeping record of wrongs, that parents would do that in such a way that it would destroy them. Really, what is being described here is to choose to love, to, to choose to relinquish control. And, and I suppose of all of the things that we've talked about, when I go back to the illustration of Allie on that chairlift, so many 
days ago that there's a component of this as we talk about being in a family together, when we talk about harmony, that so often what happens in a family environment is that there's an individual that gets so discouraged that they just give up, that they may live in the same home, but that they're no longer engaging together, that they've just chosen to say, I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. And they've isolated themselves from the family. And I think what, what God communicates to us as his design for harmony in the family is the exact opposite of that is that we choose to stay in the conversation, that we do truth and love, that we're willing to say the hard things, we're willing to work together to figure out how we fit together, like those guys on the baseball team that, that each of them could have caught the ball, but they just miscommunicated poorly, that there's a component of this that, that we can harmonize together. Again, let's look at this slide again. Let's hear these words, these words again that are so crystal clear in God's word, that Above all of these things, put on love. Remember, love is a deliberate choice to engage with one another, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is what God desires for us in our homes, that he desires for us to be able to function well together because we trust that our designer had a plan for the way life ought to be lived and when we choose to do that, we do the complete opposite of being a dysfunctional family. We get to find ourselves functioning together in a way that the fruit that flows out of it is something that's beautiful. I pray that that's the story for your family. And I pray that as a church family, we understand what that means as we relinquish control for his glory. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your word. And thank you that you promise us that it will not return void. And I pray for each and every person here as we, each one of us, fill different roles in our families. I think of my role with my siblings, one of four boys that you gave me the privilege of being a middle child, that I didn't choose my birth order, but I know that I play a unique role in our family I think of, of the families that are here at Hope Church, some of which that are in a tremendous amount of pain because of some of the things that we talked about today. Would you grant them peace in their home? Would you allow fathers to love in the way that you want us to? Would you allow us in our marriages to see them thrive because of your perfect plan? And I pray for those that are in this room that are refusing to yield because of what that means in their life, Lord, would they find themselves first yielding to you, to trust you, to take you at your word, and then from there to be able to see their families thrive. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.